Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Hervoye Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Happy Wednesday. A lot is going on as usual and two fantastic guests these upcoming two hours returning to the, to the broadcast. Uh, first hour will be lecturer uh, Stuart J. Hooper, who focuses on globalism and the military industrial complex. Uh, he's also been featured lately uh, on Chris Smith's program as well. And first time guest coming second hour. I'm really excited about this guy. Um, it's uh, his name is Koki or Samuel Jacob Lopez Jr., a fantastic musician that I just discovered who's putting out amazing uh, new music. Some of it touches on conspiracy stuff. Others, uh, uh, it's a distinctive Christian indie sound. So he'll be joining us. A very cool uh, dude. And what's what's going on around the world? I'll start with a quote from Ibrahim Hashem, someone I follow on, on Twitter. Hopefully I'll, I'll have on my podcast at some point. Uh, he says the world order is looking more visibly like a grand chessboard now that Ukraine pawn has been lost and is no longer a strategic asset. All efforts are being made now to ensure that Israel and Taiwan pawns won't lose their strategic value. Otherwise, the game will be over. Uh, and my past TNT radio guest here on the program, Professor Ivan Kachanovsky, I think he's up in Canada. He just published uh, and his academic research has been uh, very involved with this. He says that the Maidan massacre trial verdict confirms that Hotel Hotel Ukraina rooms of German ARD TV journalists were shot from territory controlled by Maidan, um, basically showing that, you know, Maidan was a false flag operation, their Western back uh, sort of event. So that's also breaking news. Viktor Orban, as usual, on his Twitter and media, putting out fantastic comments. He says, Brussels' model for Europe leads to chaos. We don't want to be Soros' debt slaves. We don't want to live in a zone of gang wars. And we don't want to live in the world of migrants' ghettos. It's time for a change in Brussels. Speaking of change, far-right lawmaker Geert Wilders is on course to lead the largest block in the Dutch parliament. Uh, I will be having later on in the in the week, no, next week, René de Vries. Uh, he was a former political uh, candidate up in Canada, I think, for the PPC, um, which uh, th that's uh, Maxime Bernier's party. I had Maxime on the program last year. So with René, we'll be talking more about Dutch and Canadian politics. So a lot of changes going on, some more geopolitical news related to Fiji and the new, new great game. Fiji Prime Minister told Parliament the Pacific Islands nation was likely to collaborate with China on a key port modernization and shipyard project after discussing it in a meeting with Xi Jinping. Fiji previously sought Australia's involvement to build a modern shipbuilding facility, uh, but I guess yeah, that ain't going to happen because China is the world's largest shipbuilder, accounting for half of all ships built this year. So they got the biggest navy on the planet. They're the world's largest shipbuilder. It's, it's, it's not looking good uh, for us. And there was this interesting report from 
Epoch Times discussing um, restoring the doomsday plane. So you've got Representative Don Bacon, uh, former Cold Warrior, discussing this Cold War era looking glass program, which is now defunct. Uh, and he's calling for it to be reactivated so um, it could augment surveillance by being on station 24-7 to ensure no adversary can launch a surprise nuclear strike. And what else we got going on? Some uh, Putin has come out and said Nord Stream attack was state terrorism. The sabotage operation was a blatant attempt to take Russia out as an energy supplier. So some strong words coming from Vlad there. He said to eliminate competitors and gain advantages, unfair methods of competition are used. Not only the destruction of transport and logistics chains and international payment channels, but also acts of state terrorism. I wonder what, if one of these days he's going to come out and say something about 9-11. I doubt it because then he'll have to, he'd, he'd have to say something about the 1999, 1999 Moscow apartment bombings. Um, some interesting speculations when it comes to Bitcoin. Peter St. Unge uh, shared this article from onceinaspecies.com. Uh, I had Peter on the program a while back. Uh, very cool dude. And he, I guess the conclusion that they're estimating what the potential cost of one Bitcoin could be. Uh, Peter's summarizing the, the, the analysis. Given $120 trillion in money and $900 trillion in global wealth, it could eventually be millions per Bitcoin. This is not financial advice, so take that for what you will. One Bitcoin being worth millions of dollars. Also, Argentina stocks are popping after Millet's win. American depository receipts of Argentina, the main oil. Um, well, sorry about that. But in general, just uh, Argentine stocks are going up. Uh, and also what is going up uh, this is not good. Interest on the U.S. federal debt is now so immense that it's consuming 40% of all personal income taxes. If federal finances continue on their current path, we are only a few years from the entirety of income taxes being needed to finance the debt. Are we at the end of empire? I guess I guess we'll find out. Um, a quick reminder that you should download the TNT Radio smartphone app. If you carry one of those surveillance devices, you can go to the Apple App Store or Google Play Store or the Aurora Store if you've got a de-Google phone like uh, I do and get the app and listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Stay up to speed on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, half for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A city in California has just been awarded millions of dollars to create a cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, high-tech surveillance system that would be able to analyze and track down criminals in real time. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Sir Rory. Yeah, you're going to love this one. It's kind of like Big Brother meets Minority Report meets real life. Uh, the city of Irvine uh, in California, uh, yesterday, November 21st, they were awarded $2 million by state officials for the development of a real-time crime center 
that features data analysis and high-definition surveillance equipment to help police officers combat crime surges in retail and automotive theft. Um, we have a statement here from California State Senator Dave Min, Democrat in, in Irvine. Uh, this is what he told members of the media outside Irvine City Hall, quote, these funds represent the state's continued commitment to working with our law enforcement partners to give them the resources they need to fight crime in the 21st century. I was so thankful we were able to find some funding in the budget to be able to fund this new real-time crime center alongside my colleagues, which will put modern tools in the hands of our Irvine Police Department, end quote. The funding comes after California officials in September awarded $39 million, according to Assemblywoman Cody Petrie Norris, a Democrat from Laguna Beach, to law enforcement agencies throughout Orange County to combat organized retail crime, which have been on the rise over the last year. According to Irvine Police Department officials, the center will be run by a staff of crime analysts who will access past and current data trends of suspects, along with vehicle descriptions and time patterns obtained by surveillance procedures. The information obtained by the center will then be relayed to patrol officers, giving them up-to-date data needed to enforce crimes throughout the city, according to Irvine Police Chief Michael Kent. Mr. Kent said, quote, it's unfortunate, but over the course of the last few years that the state of California has certainly seen an uptick in criminal activity and the city of Irvine has certainly not been exempt of some of these criminal trends. There is no question that establishing the center is a significant milestone for our department and our ongoing efforts to enhance public safety through direct information in real time, end quote. California politicians on both sides of the aisle have acknowledged California's crime increased over the past several years, which includes a surge in smash and grab coordinated robberies, as well as, uh, oh, sorry, at taking place at well-known shopping centers, including Fashion Island at Newport Beach and Costa Mesa's South Coast Plaza. In presenting the check to the city of Irvine, Assemblywoman Petri Norris shared the need to take back shopping centers from organized retail criminals plaguing the Southland. She said, quote, I don't think I have to tell anyone here today that retail theft is completely out of control. It's time to stop these criminal gangs from destroying our community's sense of safety and security. And that's really what these grants are about, end quote. Indeed, the crime center will also give police officers an enhanced ability to track down organized retail crime rings and prosecute those who are targeting retailers and customers, according to Ms. Norris. Um, inside City Hall, Irvine Police Department officers and city officials monitored several screens that featured traffic camera feeds from various parts of the city made up of 309,000 residents who just got themselves one massive big brother, Harvori. What do you think about this real-time crime center? Well, I mean, look, a lot of us have been talking about this for, for years. You know, the some of our, our uh, conspiracy gra grandpas, like the Patrick Woods and G. Edward Griffins and others, again, this has been a long time coming uh you know i just read a story this afternoon i think it was in 
was it Memphis, uh, a FedEx truck. Um, you know, this was premeditated. I guess local people who are working in, as gangs now, um, they blocked the truck off with vehicles and just took everything from the FedEx truck, 10000 upwards of $10,000 worth of damage. And the FedEx driver literally can't do anything. He's just standing there as a whole mob descends on the truck. And, um, you know, what, what you reported, this real-time reporting system, you know, this is Minority Report. Go, by, go back and watch that movie with Tom Cruise. Um, uh, they're building out these same systems again in countries across the world. You know, I've, I've seen here in Mexico, where I am in Jalisco, uh, I've seen local news reports and, and, and images where they've got these, they're building out these same sorts of systems where it looks just like Minority Report. You know, this whole room with uh, authorities stationed looking at these big screens, real-time cameras, kind of goes back to what I've been talking about with my guests uh, the past few days, you know, what we saw in California with Gavin Newsom. Uh, you know, they've got all these screens, but they don't deal with the problems uh, un unless they really want to. Uh, you know, and it just, it seems like we're steamrolling ahead inevitably into this minority report society ruckus. Uh, you know, I just don't see anything really stopping it. It just moves ahead and this is part of that plan. And sure, maybe it'll deal, deal with some crime, but eventually, you know, us thought criminals are, are going to be caught up, uh, in it as, as, as well. Uh, and here, here's just an example this week that they, they no longer send my, um, driving infractions or, or speeding tickets to, uh, by mail to me anymore. I have to just, I happened to check it the second time this year and I had two violations I had to pay. Um, and so it's just like, and it's all done digitally. So um, this is going to be the future. You know, it's going to be much easier for them to tax us, to fine us, to invent new tyrannical laws. Um, your further thoughts. Yeah, this, um, this is yeah this is the end game stuff right here this is and this is exactly how they do it this is in the name of public safety uh safe and effective uh effective policing we're going to stop crime before it even happens uh yeah well there's many ways you could stop crime before it happens you could focus on healing a sick society and you know focus on each individual and building a community that's not going to be participating in crime but anyway uh perhaps that's a story for another day but as you indicated uh Havori, today this technology is being used to combat retail theft uh violent and property crimes uh tomorrow it will be uh used to combat yours and mine thought crimes and you know what, what is also interesting is why authorities are so obsessed with these types of solutions of these you know surveillance solutions cameras ai drones uh and then you know not to mention imagine all the lobby groups the 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 palantirs uh you know all these um these venture capital funds and and silicon surveillance valley right not silicon valley but surveillance valley uh outfits linked to military intelligence you know pushing governments to to to, to get contracts to carry this stuff out where they're going to get rich uh, but also the military intelligence that they're linked to uh, are going to get their data to, to better surveil us uh, in the so the, in the coming algorithm ghetto, right? Is the algorithm ghetto the social credit system here in the West? It is here and now being built all uh, around us. Uh, all right, we'll catch up with you, Ruckus, in a little 
bit. We got Stuart J. Hooper joining us to talk geopolitics, global affairs. Uh, of course, feel free to call in to talk to Stu or myself. Try to keep with the theme of the hours. Chat, we'll be right back. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. All right. Returning to the broadcast is lecturer, PhD researcher who studies the military industrial complex, elites, war and globalism, Stuart J. Hooper. Do subscribe to his YouTube channel. Just type in Stuart J. Hooper, as well as his Twitter or X account, Stuart J. Hooper, where he also posts his uh, short uh, analysis there. What's happening, Stuart? Great to be back, Vori. Um, thank you very much for the invite. Always appreciate it. And uh, as I just uh, tweeted, actually, uh, the world is on fire in various different places. Um, so here we are. Um, and we're in the thick of it. Lots to discuss, as always. Um, but massive thank you to you for sharing all of my stuff over on X and YouTube. Really appreciate it. Um, finally seeing a bit of an uptick uh, in viewership and followers. So that's always positive to see. The world indeed is on fire, and I was I was worried. Uh, you know, I, I might have gotten into trouble with you. Now, not only are you a semi-frequent guest here on the Hervoy Moritz show, but also with uh, Chris Smith. Uh, so uh, this is very cool to have you. Uh, you know, providing your analysis, and you know, I don't know where to start. I, I think your last clip you were talking about Israel Palestine. A ceasefire a little bit of good news i haven't been able to spend any time today uh catching up with um middle east news but thoughts on what's going on uh, over there yeah um great to be on tnt great to be invited onto the other shows and that's definitely not uh that's definitely not a bad thing that's definitely good <laughs> so i appreciate you giving me some exposure here i've already definitely appreciate it um, and I'm willing to speak to uh, most people on mostly any issue like you are as well. Like we should all try to be as open as possible to all different sorts of voices. 
Um, but yeah, in the Middle East, um, I've been harping on this point of we need a, a ceasefire as soon as possible, really for two key reasons. The first being the most obvious in that there are 2.2 million people that are currently in a state of um, humanitarian crisis, unlike the world has seen really in recent history, um, in, in recent memory, in this um, large of a number, at least. <clears throat> So that's been obviously the, the central point for a ceasefire. But the second point, which uh, a few others have um, been saying as well, Douglas McGregor has been saying things on the same lines, is you also need this to get away from a regional confrontation between all of the um, actors that are currently in the Middle East. And there are a whole lot of them in the Middle East right now. Um, something that I've also been really trying to get across to people is that this is not the Middle East of old. This is not the Middle East from 2000, 2001, 2002, where the US could just go in and throw its weight around and do whatever the hell it wants, as it did, um, specifically in Iraq. Um, and you saw what happened there. Now we have a Middle East that's also got, in, got an active Russia. We've got an active China. Um, we have an active Iran, other Middle Eastern players that are also stepping up now. Um, and they're all in this really precarious position of where they're all facing off against one another. They're all aligning on different sides. Um, and a ceasefire can do something to bring them back from the edge, which is um, really destroy the rationale for any of these external actors to get involved. As long as Israel is bombarding the Gaza Strip, as it has been doing, well, then you're going to have these um, Arab nations, you're going to have these uh, different political factions, these different terroristic factions that are going to use that as a justification to ramp up what they are doing. And we've seen that multiple times now. Um, the Houthis in Yemen, they have been particularly um, involved in all of this launching missiles at Israel. So you've got missiles flying across the Middle East um, in the direction of Israel as a result of what it's doing in Gaza. Um, but we did get this ceasefire. It's a little shorter than was originally expected. So it's supposed to be a four-day as opposed to a five-day ceasefire. Um, but I did see um, hours after this was announced, Yemen, the Houthi rebels, Iranian-backed Houthis launched another cruise missile towards Israel. So this happened almost immediately after. Um, so to an extent, that goes to show that, yeah, I think we need to go further than just four days. We need to make this permanent. We need a resolution to this as soon as possible, a political resolution, because evidently the military solutions have not been working for now decades. And it's... Uh funny i was looking at your tweet you you you. it's really you know vicious if for anyone wants to comment now whether it's on x or or telegram i mean it's completely insane now and you commented on douglas mcgregor's tweet uh the other day and you know he was saying uh, basically uh, along the same lines time to stop the bloodshed ceasefire uh and you commented a ceasefire simultaneously ends both of the human suffering in gaza and immediately danger of regional or even global escalation and then look at the comments that that you get uh someone says you are so wrong because I have a knowledge of the history of Israel it is easy to discern post someone else says until Hamas breaks the ceasefire uh again uh someone else says Israel doesn't care about any of that so you're wasting your um time but you know also I would say with a ceasefire again you, you never know at least we get a brief moment 
where mm -hmm. less bullets are flying um and, and and maybe something happens in that moment of, of of peace that could lead to more peace uh i don't know but you know some of the guests that i've been having on i had security expert lee slusher on the other day um and it just seems that the you know the 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 hardliners in the israeli government they ha have had for the longest time since the founding this goal of greater israel an expansionist um program and it's really going to be hard to square that with you know peace or further solutions but you know we do have arab leaders in china now um you know get, if passing the baton to china which is a whole entire other dynamic your your, your further thoughts yeah so we now um also live in a world where putin Russia's Putin, who just invaded Ukraine uh, a year and a half, a year and a few months back, is now calling for a ceasefire. Um, we have Xi Jinping, leader of China, also now calling openly for a ceasefire as well. So they're both in this position. Um, and look at where the Western world is in its position. Well, just send over more weapons. Um, don't worry about the 68% of Americans that want a ceasefire. Don't worry about the majority of young Democrats that want a ceasefire. Just keep going with the uh, the same old story as it's always been. But where has that gotten us? Nowhere good. But as you mentioned, in Netanyahu's government and Netanyahu himself um, has this party, this figure, they have a very long history of being anti-peace deal, anti-negotiation. And as you said, I think they are wedded, at least some of them, um, in the Likud party uh, along Netanyahu's side. They're wedded to this idea of getting rid of the Gaza Strip entirely, getting rid of the West Bank and bringing it all under problem um israeli control um the problem is that in gaza alone there are 2.2 million people so what are you going to do with those 2.2 million people um because what they're doing right now this is not a feasible solution this is not going to give you a tenable um option just a few months down the road right what are they going to do a few months from now when you have 2.2 million people that have no food, have no water, have, have no shelter, have no livelihoods, have no economic um, opportunities to actually create a life for themselves whatsoever. Um, are you just going to put these people in tent cities and just hope that they all just die out over slowly over time? Um, because you look at the state of northern Gaza right now, Gaza City, and how they've cut this, really the top third of the Gaza Strip has been completely cut off. I don't foresee that going back into Palestinian hands ever. I mean, do you think the Israelis are just going to allow that to be rebuilt and then just give them back over to the Palestinians? I don't see that happening. Um, I think the, the the likelihood of that going back to the Palestinians is almost zero, um, and it's probably going to become um, an Israeli beach resort. That's my prediction for northern Gaza at the moment. I don't know what you think of what they're going to do with it, but it's uh, it doesn't look good. Yeah, I would more or less agree with you. Real quick, uh, Stuart, we're going to jump to our headlines. The news you need when you need it. Oh, you have a deep voice. TNT. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Russian President Vladimir Putin argued on Wednesday that Moscow has a moral obligation to deliver humanitarian aid to the civilian population in Gaza. The day before, he told other BRICS leaders that he had been moved by videos depicting Palestinian children being operated on without anesthesia. Rescuers hope to drill through the last third of the debris blocking a collapsed tunnel in the Indian Himalayas by early on Thursday to reach 41 workers trapped for 10 days. 
the common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. We are back with Stuart J. Hooper uh, again. Subscribe to his Pentagon Tube channel, YouTube, Stuart J. Hooper, as well as find him on Twitter where he also releases his videos in full uh, as do I with my podcasts and you know I, I do want to stress it's it's hard enough producing content on social media you know whether it's Twitter or Telegram or YouTube or Rumble or Odyssey and all of us podcasters content creators whatever you want to call it TNT radio uh, you know the, the least anyone can do listening is simply subscribe to wherever you find us on, on on all the all of these platforms that is a big help and Stuart as you were mentioning you know I saw some reports I think yesterday uh, Israel bombed a historic may, may have been the oldest Orthodox Church in Lebanon uh, I, I I believe and so I I just don't know how to square this you know I I bring this up because I myself as am a Christian and I'm bothered by strains of Christianity which give a blank check to the state of Israel, which I just can't see, you know, from my uh, gut reading, when I read the Bible through the first time, you kind of learned that, well, man is evil by nature, we're all wretched, states are, all states are corrupt, uh, right, whether it's the American, or Russian, or Chinese, or Israeli, so how can you just give a blank check and then you look at some of the the videos i keep seeing in palestine you know people have their homes bombed out some of them are palestinian christians or, or muslims or not even religious and they go back to their homes that were demolished uh you know there was a palestinian man laying on his bed with his roof blown off and just smoking a cigarette and saying i'm not leaving you know i I'm, i would possibly do the same thing as well like look this is my home it's they bombed it out I'm just an innocent civilian. Um, I, it's gonna. It's like making a statement, right? I'm gonna stay here, uh, and I don't know how how you justify this sort of thing. My initial feeling before was, you know, I read Startup Nation. It's a great book um, about the miracle of the state of Israel. But I mean, if if it's so miraculous, which in some ways it is, why not incorporate Palestinians? Let them keep their homes, give them citizenship, let them become um, successful as well. But you know, of course that. Uh, conflicts with what we mentioned earlier some of these expansionist ideas but you know your your further thoughts on on, on this or other um geopolitical um things going on around the world yeah i has uh, actually not heard about that church bombing so that's news to me i mean uh, it's just there's one thing after another here right so it's impossible to keep up with it we just how many uh bombs that they're dropping it's uh bordering on a uh, ridiculous and i think some people have actually calculated that it's now more explosive force than was dropped on japan during world war ii um so yeah if you want some kind of equivalence that's definitely uh something to consider um i think what israel is currently doing is 
absolutely destroying its public image for the foreseeable future. And I think for multiple generations into the future, it has destroyed its public image. Um, there were some tweets that I saw going around that, oh, is this going to be a problem for a generation? No, it's going to be multiple generations, what they've done here, because this is truly unprecedented. Um, you have the UN. And I'm certainly no fan of the UN. I've never been a fan of the UN. I think it's a mostly useless uh, institution in terms of actually solving any global problems. But it does do some very real things when it comes to humanitarian assistance. It does really do some good work there, at least. The UN, multiple heads of the UN humanitarian agencies are saying this is the worst situation they have ever seen. Ever, anywhere in the world, name a conflict, name a problem, name something that's happened. This is the worst of the worst. And unfortunately, in the Western world, I don't think we can really consider accurately, precisely what these people are going through. Because if the water gets turned off for a couple of hours in the Western world, we get kind of angry and upset about that. If the power goes out for a few hours, you know, we kind of get upset and angry. Oh, we can't charge our phone. We can't play Xbox. We can't watch TV. Imagine having no electricity, no water, no food, no heat, no shelter, no, you haven't got absolutely anything at all. Um, your entire life has been destroyed. At least somebody that you know, uh, maybe someone that you care about has been killed in, in this process. Entire towns, villages wiped off the map. Um, this is a truly unprecedented level of crisis. So the, again, the the uh, the can of worms that they have opened here is more like a Pandora's box, I think, that Israel has really opened. Um, because not only is this creating problems within Israel, but it's creating problems around the world. Within Israel, the families that have hostages being held in Gaza are getting increasingly vocal and increasingly angry. And you can imagine why. Um, if your relatives, if your family were being held captured in this region and your government's response was, well, let's destroy absolutely everything. Well, yeah, what about my wife? What about my kids? What about uh, my grandparents? What about my little kid cousin who was taken hostage? Um, these people are getting angry and they're getting loud and they're forcing, um, I think, to a, to a degree, Netanyahu to come into this position of a ceasefire because his own political survival is definitely on the line here <clears throat> to a degree. Um, I think that's also why you start to see uh, the U.S., um, promoting the fact that it has been helping to broker this deal. Now that we do have 68% of Americans that want a ceasefire, that you have most young Democrats wanting a ceasefire, that you have multiple polls that showing that Donald Trump would win an election if it was to be held right now and Biden would be ousted, he would be out of there. So we get these domestic political consequences that are coming home to roost um, for elites in Israel and elites in the United States. And their grip on power, therefore, may be starting to slip. But I think it also goes deeper than that as well, because if you look at who is mostly against this, and it is mostly young people where you find the, the majority opinion against um, what Israel is doing here, um, well, I think that probably resonates with the fact that we all grew up through the war on terror. We grew up through the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, and we saw trillions of dollars racked up 
in the name of these conflicts. Um, and what did we get for it? Absolutely nothing. We got terror attacks that still broke out throughout the Western world. Um, we got the rise of ISIS. We got a million dead people in Iraq. We got drone strikes throughout the world, um, including multiple wedding parties that were hit by uh, drone strikes. <clears throat> so we've got a, a whole lot of nothing out of militarism, and we're tired of militarism, and we need a new course of action. We need to get away from this um, entirely. And I did notice <clears throat> during the break, um, Joshua Landis, who you may be familiar with, um, he's on a lot of shows and, and things like that, <clears throat> professor up at OU, actually, not too far away from me. Um, he posted a, a poll on Israeli support for a Palestinian state. And he said a, a poll in September of last year found that only 32% of Israeli Jews support a Palestinian state, down from 47% five years ago. Israeli Arabs, who make up one-fifth of the population, still endorse the idea, but their support has dropped from 87% to 71%. So even Israeli Arabs are starting to fall away from this idea of a two-state solution and see it as viable. Um, so again, what are we doing here? What what, what are we going to do here? Are we just going to blow each other up for eternity? Um, because evidently that's not the solution, but I don't really know what the solution is. And if you, even when you think about where to even start this discussion, a lot of people start it after World War II which to an extent does make sense, but the modern story really starts in the late 1800s, the 1880s, the 1890s, when you have these wealthy Jewish people from Eastern Europe, lots from Ukraine, they go over um, to what is then Palestine, they start to buy land and they start to bring about this Zionist project. Um, that was a fringe group within um, the Jewish population at the time. There are a lot of big rabbis in the late 1800s, uh, big time uh, rabbis that thought that this was a bad idea. So it was a minority opinion to go over and do this. Um, but even then, a lot of people say, well, that's that's not the right time to start either. You need to go back to the ancient world, thousands of years, back to biblical times. So this, this issue is really beyond the pale in terms of trying to figure out where do you start, where do you end, what's the solution, because it's just so complicated and absolutely nobody agrees. Um, so yeah, uh, where we go with it, I have no idea, but a ceasefire is a very good start. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Maybe it won't be solved uh, until the, the 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 second coming. Um, and I guess you know maybe it'll just remain frozen as it is. Maybe uh, some of the other Arab leaders with uh, Xi's Xi Jinping's guidance will uh, agree to a one state, some sort of one state system where agreements are made and Palestinians are incorporated and, and reimbursed or whatever. Um, because we've seen also some of the Arab leaders, even the cradle has been reporting this, that they have not been standing strong. They have been capitulating to uh, Tel Aviv and, and the West because it seems, you know, money uh, is and, and status is, seems to be the, what's really most important for Saudi Arabia and the other countries. They, they care less really about ideology. And, and you know, I had this discussion three years ago with from Dr. Francis Boyle, who was involved with the PLO, uh, with Arafat, uh, and he said three years ago that the, the the Arab countries don't really care about the Palestinian cause. They've just sort of like it's 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 become a lost cause for them. They they paid maybe lip service, but they, they don't really um care. And I, I did want to ask you, you know, your thoughts. I wonder if you'd agree. 
if we go we go back to Ukraine, you know, COVID, all these official narratives that were told, uh, I think I, I have not seen this strong of a reaction, uh, you know, uh, uh, opinion. I guess whatever side doesn't matter, but just the fact that, as you mentioned, so many youth, all these big protests in Europe and U.S., I don't think we've seen this level that we're seeing now as compared, you know, to to, to Ukraine uh, or, or or prior. And and you know, what what do you gather? Some of the feeling of of the the youth where where you are in the U.S. Um, and, and what do you make of the magnitude of of popular opinion now when it comes to Israel Palestine? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And uh, just briefly, also on um, the the Palestinian question for the Arabs, um, yeah, the the Palestinians have often been a political football for a lot of Arab countries. Unfortunately, they they pick it up when they want to use it for something that they think is going to benefit them, and then they drop it and leave them and just let them stay in this completely disastrous uh, position. It's a lot like how the uh, the Western world speaks about democracy and the importance of democratic values. Uh, it's all well and good sometimes in some places, but in other places, well, they don't really care. So it's whatever fits their um, political position at the time, right? It's not really uh, any anything to do with principles or morals or anything like this. But yeah, I think this is definitely starting to look similar to the, the anti-COVID, the anti-war in Ukraine um, crowds and opinions that were emerging. And the important thing I think about all of that is that the, the youth is what is going to come into government eventually, uh, slowly but surely, um, very slowly in the cases of uh, some individuals that currently make up what uh, some people have called a gerontocracy in the United in the United States. Um, some very very old um, government officials that end up dying in office, but eventually these younger voices um, are going to find their way into the halls of government, where hopefully they will be able to do something to change uh, some of these uh, processes and some of the directions that our governments have gone in, which have been uh, really not great overall. Um, but yeah, in terms of... Uh, if you could maybe, Stuart, if you could sort of just hold that thought on, on the youth, mm -hmm. we're going to jump to our break. Again, reminder, phone lines are, are open. We'll be right back. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I used to work for the once great AccuWeather. I don't know if any of you know the history of AccuWeather, but it was started by a brilliant meteorologist, a pioneer in his field, Dr. Joel Myers. And his philosophy was simple. Let me get the best forecasters and put them under one roof. And then let them compete against each other. And so what happened was, when AccuWeather started in the 70s and 80s, it was like the New York Yankees of weather. It was unbelievable. But as time went by, things have changed. Joel is long retired, for instance. And now they are one of the main media outlets, I call them meteorological misinformation media, that continues to whip the hysteria. Now, my bias against that is the fact that I used to work for them. And there were so many great people that I learned from there. And I don't know what they think about what they see now, but there's one climate article after another coming out. But you know something? I'm being too harsh on them because there's a poll on Twitter by me if you want to go look, the American Storm, and you're more than welcome to vote on it. It says only 3% of people responding say that they drive climate hysteria the most. 
Guess who is winning hands down? The Weather Channel, 40.6%. Behind them, the New York Times, 30.5%. So the Washington Post is in there at 25.9%. So these articles, and apparently they just appear in front of me every morning. Whenever I open up my computer, there's a bunch of them that just flash on. I gotta not let them bother me. Obviously, no one's really looking at that. They're looking at the Weather Channel, the Washington Post, and the New York Times. And believe me, they're beating the drum like mad. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee, and thought I'll top up with fuel, ordered a coffee. But while I was pumping fuel, I started to get chest pains. Then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. This is the Hervoy Moritz Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Time flies. It's our final segment with Stuart J. Hooper, a lecturer, academic researcher, uh, subscribe to his YouTube, Stuart, that's S-T-U-A-R-T, Stuart J. Hooper, and his Twitter X account where he also publishes his um, analysis. He's, apart from TNT Radio, he's also featured on other platforms like uh, Jason Burmis's program, Burmis's uh, fantastic work uh, as well. By the way, uh, Eileen in the chat, uh, we are two married men, Stuart, but uh, someone, Eileen, comments, two handsome guys right there. Uh, I'll take it, uh, Eileen. And we were discussing, uh, you were about to talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the public opinion when it comes to Israel-Palestine. It just seems much more of the world is siding with Palestine. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's a, a lot of them are progressive, left-wingers. Um, not not entirely, but it's interesting to see that trend as well. And, you know, I, I think it's also, for me, dangerous because, you know, James Lindsay points out that it's never about the issue, it's about the revolution. And so the power elites, as we know, want to balkanize, you know, they can use these types of movements to do further damage um, in America uh, to, to perpetuate this sort of Marxist-like revolution and, and then they can use the israel-palestine conflict they can use a, a, any uh conflict so your, your further thoughts on uh you know public opinion yeah that's definitely uh, an important point and also um i'm sure you've probably been at or around political protests before um there are definitely the the crowds of people that seem to make it a a living let's say to go out to every single protest that ever happens and uh i don't think they're necessarily there for the issues let's say but um there's there's a i think that the, the real problem for israel is that they have botched this response so badly that people are going to start saying and, and already are wait what happened on october the 7th or what caused this um 
they have caused so much destruction, so much devastation in Gaza that people are going to start making comparisons and saying, well, is, is this comparable? Does this make sense? Was this ever the right thing to do at all? Um, but they did suffer a terror attack. Nobody's denying the fact that they suffered a terrorist attack. And what Hamas did was absolutely a terror attack and a disaster and should never have happened in the first place. Um, but I don't know what what really sparked this within Netanyahu's government. Um, lots of questions on how they didn't even manage to see this coming in the first place. Um, where did the funding for all of this come from? Who planned this? Um, I think there are definitely some big questions to ask there as well eventually, and there will probably be more that ends up coming out along those lines. I think <clears throat> what we could really do with right now is uh, an Israeli Julian Assange. <laughs> that's what we that's what we kind of need. We need someone that's going to say, well, this is exactly what happened, um, and this is exactly why they're choosing to do what they're choosing to do. Um, there are, of course, numerous Israeli officials that have already um, made some outlandish statements uh, about wanting to nuke Gaza, um, which of course is just utterly ridiculous, but also seemingly uh, officially confirming that Israel does have nuclear weapons, the great elephant in the geopolitical room that nobody's supposed to really know about or talk about. Um, but one Israeli minister did. Now, he was suspended by Netanyahu, but that's probably just because you don't really have too much of a choice there when someone says they're going to nuke your next door neighbor within your government might want to rein them in whether or not you agree with them or not, which it's possible that Netanyahu does uh, agree with that perspective, especially considering his uh, overall uh, approach to this uh, as a problem. Um, but yeah, we'll see where it all goes, where it all plays out. Uh, I just saw another couple of posts that this uh, ceasefire isn't apparently starting until Friday. So that's uh, another important point. So we're going to keep killing each other, destroying one another for another uh, 48 hours. And then we're going to take a pause. Um, just ridiculous in the grand scheme of things. I mean, let's just put this to rest. Um, enough is enough. That reminds me a story that I'm told of my great, my great grandfather uh, in the, the kingdom of the Slovene Serbs and, and Croats, the, the precursor to Yugoslavia during World War One. Apparently, the war had finished, World War One, but in that part, um, uh, of, you know, in Croatia, bombs were still being lobbed and one fell into the courtyard and killed my great-grandfather after the war had finished. The the, the irony there, but I, hey, somehow I made it. I'm, I'm here uh, alive and I got a couple minutes left. And I was going to mention as well, there was this report uh, coming up from RT yesterday, BRICS asked to label Israel terrorist state. Uh, of course, this is coming from none other than the Iranian president requ uh, who requested that West Jerusalem's alleged war crimes be investigated and the blockade of Gaza be broken. But also, Stuart, you know, moving beyond Israel-Palestine, I just continue to see a lot of concerning developments, all, gov all sorts of governments doing all sorts of military testing i believe the russians recently did a nuclear test uh american senators now want to reactivate what's called the looking glass program the american doomsday plane uh, iranian armed forces raised their alert level recently france is doing missile tests japan is buying 400 missiles from the us um you know on and on and it just seems like everyone is preparing uh, maybe hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst, you know, any, any thoughts on, on other flashpoints around the world? 
Yeah, as you, as you rightly said, uh, everything is going in a very dangerous direction um, in a lot of different places at exactly the same time. And as we have been warning, um, a few and a few other voices here and there, that this looks like we may be in uh, or heading into a World War Three scenario. Um, all of the geopolitical dominoes lining up in precisely the wrong way. How we don't want them lined up, and they're all heading. Um, down the road of disaster, um, unfortunately. Um, but I think Ukraine is becoming in, an interesting issue once again. Um, we seem to have a, a shift in mainstream media rhetoric that is now perhaps starting to admit that, oh, yeah, the Ukrainians are not really doing too well. Doesn't look like they're going to be able to oust the Russians um, and doesn't look like they're going to be able to get back all of their territory. Uh, and that whole counter offensive that we held, that we heard for months and months and months was coming this year we heard it in january february march april may then june late june i think it actually finally started and here we are in november and nothing's happened and there was that bombshell new york times report that came out a couple of weeks back um, which showed the territory that had been gained and lost after the counteroffensive, and it showed that practically nothing had changed um, there'd been a, a few short quarter mile half mile gains here and there um, but in the aggregate nothing had moved so as we have been discussing on this program um on off for months as i've made appearances here and there um it's a stalemate nothing's happening nothing's moving forward um people are just being thrown into a meat grinder um and in ukraine's case they're now on the um process of calling up fathers and grandfathers and anyone that can basically hold a gun and say, well, you're now in the Ukrainian military. Uh, good luck. Um, here's the next bus to the front line. Uh, that is not sustainable. That's uh, that's a military disaster. Um, and Russia, of course, massive population vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine <clears throat> can keep this going forever and is seemingly willing to keep this going forever. Now, I think it's fair to say that this is not gone the way that Putin wanted it to go. And you, the Ukraine did do a good job of defending Kiev and they stopped that massive Russian column. There's probably some logistical issues on the Russian side as well. They did stop that from taking the capital. There were these dramatic helicopter landings of Russian troops at Kiev airport um, and gun battles on, on the ground in the airport in Kiev as the invasion was underway. So there was a clear objective to take the capital, which failed. So the Ukrainians were successful there, which is good. That's great. We don't want any country to be getting invaded. Um, but they have not been able to fully eject the Russians. And it looks like that's going to be the position that they are going to be stuck in. Um, and we did have some serious discussions that were taking place. The Turks were very um, intimately involved in those discussions right at the start of the, the outbreak of the war, in fact, in March and April. Um, and then you have Boris Johnson step in, you have Joe Biden step in and say, no, 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 you don't want to negotiate with these people. Just keep fighting. We'll give you all the weapons you need. You can go and kill the Russians. Um, what they didn't really say is that you will be dying for us and our proxy war, which is what we're going to use you to accomplish. Um, we're going to fight to the last Ukrainian, is what they were really saying to Zelensky. Um, so he was sold a bill of goods that turned out to be a complete fraud. Um, he's had to dismiss multiple ministers, multiple military heads who have been still 
involved in massive corruption scandals throughout a war for the existence of their country. Um, so this has just been a disaster from day one. They had a chance to resolve it. What I said, the best point for them to resolve it would have been is when they stopped that massive column of tanks heading for Kiev. That was the prime time to say, okay, let's pause. You tried it, you failed. We've stopped you here. Let's come to the drawing board and let's let's figure something out. But they didn't. They aligned themselves with the West, which they had been doing for years and years before anyways, um, really from 2014 and the coup and everything that happened there. Um, but yeah, Ukraine, a disaster, not going anywhere. But um, maybe if we get some geopolitical good news, it would be some form of negotiated settlement on that. I have no idea what that would look like, but perhaps that would be uh, some good news. We are out of time. Thank you, Stuart, as always, for joining us. Indeed, we are seeing signals. Maybe Washington wants to wind down the Ukraine situation. So everyone follow follow Stuart J. Hooper on YouTube and Twitter. We'll talk again soon, Stuart.